0: Welcome to this edition of The Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. Welcome and thank you for joining us online today. Once again, good to have you with us. Last week, we began a series that we will dip into intermittently between now and Christmas. It's entitled The Spiritual Journey of a Godly Man, and it is based on the life of Habakkuk and obviously recorded for us in the book that he authored. This is a document of a godly man's cry to God about what is happening in his nation and in his world, and he is worried about wickedness, injustice, oppression, and everything that is going on in his nation, and God answers him we started to explore and discover that a book like Habakkuk may not give us the answers that we want, but it does give us the answers that we need. That God sees everything, that God knows everything, that he never has, nor will he ever abandon his people. And in the end, we have to make a choice of whether we will trust him or not. And in so doing, in so doing, learn that we can bring our questions and our uncertainties, our anxieties and fears before him, and he is a safe place for them to be left. The reason this is so is because we don't live our lives in the questions, because we live our lives in the bosom of the answer, with our head resting on our Savior. So today, we come, as it were, having had an oversight last week, we get into the main thrust of the book, and we're going to read Habakkuk, Verses one, chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, says this, "'The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, "'O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help, "'and you will not hear, "'or cry to you violence, and you will not save? "'Why do you make me see iniquity, "'and why do you idly look at wrong? "'Destruction and violence are before me, "'strife and contention arise.'" So the law is paralysed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. And now the Lord answers. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they swoop like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their gold. Now Habakkuk complains again. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof you who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the men more righteous than he you make mankind like the fish of the sea like crawling things that have no ruler today we are going to look at chapter 1 verses 2 to 11 and we are going to explore the question the issue of where is God when things are falling apart? We won't find all the answers in these verses, but we will find truths that will help us when things go awry. Today, I want us to look at three very simple ideas, truth, tone, and trust. But first, let's look at chapter one and the the context of, of this book. It says it is an oracle that came to Habakkuk. The word oracle in hebrew means burden or weight and the name habakkuk actually means the one who clings so it can be described or interpreted as one who clings desperately a burden a weight and someone who clings desperately by seeing these truths we start to get a hint of what this book is all about which we looked at very quickly last week we find ourselves somewhere between 638 BC or 640 BC and between then and maybe 595 BC. Habakkuk was alive and ministering in the southern kingdom, the bottom tip of Israel. And it was made up of two clans, the clans Judah and Benjamin. The Assyrian Empire had already taken the top 10 tribes or clans into captivity around 100 years earlier. So these two tribes had watched this happen and they never believed it would happen to them. Habakkuk, the one who clings, is an example of a righteous person, a godly man, crying out to God when they look around and see unrighteousness and sin prospering, when they see wickedness, getting away with evil and all sorts of things that are evil and wrong, and yet God seemingly doing nothing at all. And actually, we wonder, does he even care? These are not the cries of a man whose personal life is falling apart, far from it. Habakkuk's letter a, is an example of a prayer of someone crying out to God with a heavy burden and, as we've seen, with a sense of weight, a burden that he gets from when he looks around and he is so annoyed, he is so angry at the wicked prospering and righteousness. Prevailing. He sees unfairness, inequality, and injustice. And like many down through the years who, in relationship with Almighty God, have seen that this doesn't match up with who God is, and it is incongruent with His character and what we know about Him. And yet, God doesn't seem to do anything about it, that there is this disconnect. So, why, God, are your people who are living in wickedness getting away with it? It's not fair, it's not right. It's just not correct. I don't understand, God, why you're letting people get away with things. Anyone who has been a follower of Jesus Christ for any length of time will have asked these or similar questions. We have seen wickedness prospering all around us, in church even, in society and in government, and we're left wondering why, God, you haven't done something about it. Why aren't you stepping into a situation and changing it? Basically, in some ways, telling God what he should be doing. But all of us have a why question. Why did this happen? Why didn't you stop that? Or why have they got away with something? Why are you letting people get away with such behavior, such actions, and such attitudes that are clearly not Christian, and yet they profess to be followers of Christ? And yet God... You do nothing. When we see this behavior and attitude, something rises up within us, and we have lots of questions. Habakkuk is an answer to these questions. His fundamental question to God, as we saw last week, why are you letting this happen? O Lord, he says, how long shall I cry for help, and will you not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. His first complaint is this Why do these people prosper? And secondly, Why does your word seem to be paralyzed or ineffective in these and other situations? It's a good question. It's a tough question. He looks at what is going around him and he says, Lord, your word is supposed to have power, but it's gone slack. It's losing something of its effectiveness. Here in this text, we need to dig around a bit and discover what God may be saying to us. You see, Habakkuk lived in a season when the southern kingdom had just gone through great reforms. We could even call it a great revival. Just a few years earlier, under the rulership of King Josiah, Josiah, after many, many bad kings, was a good king, and he renewed their commitment to the Lord. He had broken down and taken away their false idols. He did an incredible job of removing the evilness from the land, not all of it but most of it. If Habakkuk is alive and ministering at the end of Josiah's reign and at the beginning of the next king's reign, which we are almost certain that he is, it means that in only one generation, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin had gone backwards. They had gone away from God. From great revival, they had gone away in just 40 to 50 years Habakkuk probably lived and walked and talked with and met with people who remembered what God had done in those days and had moved upon the people's hearts. So in this period of only 40 to 50 years, the people of God have been moving away from truth, moving away from God's uniqueness and his claims and it's upset him. So whilst Habakkuk is asking a very important question, he probably already knows the answers. He says, why are you letting the people get away with it? And God could easily have pushed back and said to him, well, don't you think I have been watching my people walk away for 50 years, and you don't think it deeply hurts me? He could have added, I am not an all controlling God. I am not a commander telling you everything you have to do. You are not a robot that I control. You have choices, you have decisions that you have to make but I have watched for a generation again and again as you've walked by and walked away from me and you keep on going away Habakkuk's question to God why is this happening could equally have been directed to his own people please tell me why are you living like this although Habakkuk asks God he could be challenging his people. This is not a letter to his people. Don't forget, this is a private journal. The core of this issue is this. When we turn our backs to God's will, his word, his requirements of us, we paralyze his word in our life. It becomes lessened. It becomes slack. Why is it that the word of God can be read by millions and millions of people across the world, but only impact some of them? The answer is because of the position, because of the posture of the person reading it, because of the willingness or lack of it of the person who is reading it to do what it says. One of the core lessons of Habakkuk is that the gift and act of faith is absolutely required for our interaction with God. We need to exercise faith. It is paramount to our walk with God. What good... Is it to the Southern Kingdom to know who God is and not to walk in his ways and do what he says? It's a valid question then. It's a very valid question today. What good is it to claim and say that we are his people and yet ignore his precepts? What good is it to look around the world and say that that is unfair when we perhaps or the church are examples of walking away from God's purposes and plans? All this is contained. In this complaint, John Stott, the famous evangelical Anglican, in his book on the Sermon on the Mount, says these words, when you look at society and it is rotten to the core, don't blame society, but ask the church what it has been doing for the last 50 years. He goes on to say, when meat goes off, it is what happens when meat isn't preserved. It's because the salt has lost has stopped working. In this statement, there is fundamentally a challenge and an awkward question that faces us all. If our society is going wrong, what has the church been doing in recent years? Very hard because our society is impacted and influenced by our witness and presence, or the absence of our witness and presence. One of the challenging aspects of church history is how God allows his church, allows his people to turn their backs on him. But it is then that the people around them that suffer the consequences of this action. The most Christian nation in Africa is Rwanda. The scene of the East African revivals throughout really the whole of the 20th century. It started in the late 1920s, that continued and spread for about 25 years until the 1950s. And then again, there was revival in the 1960s and 70s, and even through into the early 80s. So what went wrong that within 100 days, some 26 years ago, one million people were killed by Christians amongst others? How? Why? From the 1960s through to today, the most Christian part of Europe is Northern Ireland, which in this time was known for sectarianism, for its killings, for its bombings, for its gun attacks on church, and for so much more. Some of you will know that my wife, Hope, was born and raised in Northern Ireland, and this was part of her growing up. I remember the first time that we ever went out on a date in Northern Ireland. We had to check under the car to see if uh, any bombs had been planted or anything had happened to it. When we got married, which was in Northern Ireland many years ago, because of the guest list that we had, we were told, and this happened, that we had to have an armed police in a police car parked outside our church and the reception. This was in the most Christian part of Europe and the Western world at that time. How? Why? Again, in Europe, the most Christian profession is banking. So what went wrong when choices were made by senior bankers and managers that were so wrong that the whole world was plunged into a recession in the 2008 global financial crisis? If you have the time or the desire to read any independent reports in regards to these events, whilst agreeing it was a perfect storm in regards to a confluence of things coming together and dozens of factors. Writers, journalists, and regulators say that infighting, greed, avarice, and fraud were at the heart of what happened in the 2008 crisis. How? Why? See, Habakkuk's cry, why are you allowing this to happen, is a cry that some of us may have here today in New Zealand. And God's response is profoundly challenging. First of all, he makes clear that he sees what is going on. Secondly, he tells Habakkuk that the very people that he thinks are the furthest away from the plans of God, the Chaldeans, are the ones that he, God, is going to use to bring judgment on his own people. And to make things worse for Habakkuk, God makes it clear that he knows everything about them. He knows that they are vindictive. He knows that they are cruel. He knows that they destroy people. He knows that they have hugely powerful resources and that they are self-confident and that they are an arrogant people. He knows all about them. It says there in chapter one, at kings they scoff and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God's. God's response to Habakkuk's why is a difficult answer Actually, he doesn't fully answer it, save to say, I have seen the way my people are going, and I'm gonna put it right. But I'm gonna put it right in a way that is profoundly surprising. Verse five says, "'Look among the nations and see, "'wonder and be astounded, "'for I am doing a work in your days "'that you will not believe if told.'" Now let's go forward a bit dramatically to Acts chapter 13. Acts uh, The new apostle Paul and Barnabas are in Pisidian, Antioch. And Paul is reasoning with the Jewish people in this city. He's reasoning with the Jewish people about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and all that has happened and all that was there. But his congregation, as it were, is Jewish. He sets out a whole range of arguments of God's purposes and plans from the Hebrew Bible to show them and to teach them that Jesus is the Messiah. And then he says in verses 40 and 41 of chapter 13 beware therefore lest what is said in the prophets shall come about look you scoffers be astounded and perish for i am doing a work in your days a work that you would not believe even if one tells it to you it's the same quote from habakkuk chapter 1 verse 5. In Habakkuk one verse five, God says to Habakkuk in reply to his question, why are they getting away with it? God says, they're not. You will be surprised by my answer, he says, and my answer is coming, and I am going to use the very people who oppose you, who you do not like to bring judgment through my hand. Paul uses exactly the same phrase in Acts 13 to the Jewish believers, that God is going to do something profound through the Gentile world, that they will see it, they will look at it, and the Jewish people will not begin to understand it. It's exactly the same wording, but slightly said in different ways. Here's the point. The answer in both contexts is unexpected. It's not what they expected to hear. It is not what they wanted to hear. It's contrary to what they had culturally come to expect. Something we need to learn and expect in our relationship with God is that he will move and he will do something completely different very often to the ways that we expect that he will. So what are the questions that you and I have of God? People who are doing their best to be the people of God, trying to attain, trying to live out godly lives, often f- often falling, but nevertheless trying. I want us to briefly look, as I said at the beginning, at three things, tone, truth, and trust. The answer that Habakkuk receives to his question is one that is so surprising that it probably causes him to stop and think. But in some ways, it shouldn't have been that surprising because in Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 10 to 12, God had already told the people of Judah that the Chaldeans or the Babylonians were coming to take them into captivity, and for how long it would be, 70 years. Some time later, as we have heard recently, the prophet Daniel in chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, refers back to that prophecy as it has shaped everything that has been going on there recently. God has a way of answering our prayer in the most unexpected of ways. And therefore, I believe that as followers of Christ, we are allowed to ask why? Because he does things so differently. But sometimes our why is an angry why. Why did you let that person do this? Or why did you not intervene? Why have you failed me? Why did you promise always to be there and walk away? Why did that happen? But sometimes the tone of our why needs to be considered because our tone to to God today may be an angry and an upset why. It may be a heartbroken why. And we have to come to the end of ourselves and when we've come to the end of ourselves and the end of our emotional energy and have so much to ask of him, We have to be very careful, I believe, in our tone to him. Not that he gets upset, but I think something is working in our life that is not good and healthy. It may well be a resentful why and so much more. But whilst we bring these things to him, what is the tone? Christianity and Judaism are not afraid of questions, and the answers that God gives us to our whys will be so, so different. But here in Habakkuk chapter 1, God answers the questions by explaining what he is going to do through the, ba- through the Babylonians. But he doesn't always do this. Let's just go to Psalm 73 and read the last few verses. The writer in the first 15, 16 verses has lots of whys. And then he picks this up and says this, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You made them fail to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you arouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in my heart, I was brutish, and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, Those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. See, Habakkuk's why is met with an immediate answer and then he submits another question. But they are getting worse. They're far worse than we are. He's basically saying, your answer, God, is not good enough. It was not sufficient to answer what I really wanted to know. But God still pushes back. See, Psalm 73 is full of whys, and the psalmist says, I was asking all these questions, and it was doing my head in. But it is only when I went into your sanctuary, and I beheld your glory, and remembered that you put all things right in the end, that I was able to do to deal with my why when i remember this i made a choice the psalmist said i chose to remain with you rather than walk away from you this is exactly what habakkuk gets this is what the psalmist got to this is the place that we as the followers of christ have got to get to with life's questions whatever answer we get or we don't get if we get an answer that answer that satisfies us or not that we say, I choose to remain with you rather than to walk away. It is a choice. There is a story of the followers of Jesus and when he talks about suffering and struggling and hardships, it says, many left him. And he turned to his disciples, his closest friends, and said, so will you leave me too? And Peter says, to whom else can we go? You alone have the words of eternal life what tone is our why and i would like to suggest that we need to be careful of our tone with god perhaps some of us here today have lives that are constantly full of whys, and that is okay because he can handle them but what is the tone that when our wise when they become the only way that we really talk to god and that they are the only form of conversation with him, that our whys constantly drip from our mouth. Why, why, why? When this is the place that we live, this, when this is the place where no answer will suffice, because the why is just another way of saying, I resent you for the way my life has turned out and what you have allowed to happen, something needs to change. Something has to break. I wanna talk a little bit more about tone and ask the question, when God answered Habakkuk's questions, how do you think he sounded? What was his tone like? Most of us have seen the film The Wizard of Oz and especially the moment and Dorothy the Tin Man The scarecrow and the lion and of course toto come face to face as it were with the wizard of oz they came into his presence and they have questions they want a heart they want courage and so on and he thunders back at them and they are all scared and they are all shaken and then we know how the story develops but i think this is very often how we think god answers when we ask him why And perhaps it is so second nature to us that we haven't stopped to think that perhaps he has a different tone. If you were to come to Don and I and to ask the question, oh, why did you let so-and-so or something happen at Gateway and we answered, well, we're the pastors, we can do whatever we want. Well, hey, that wouldn't be right, but what's that tone gonna do for our future relationship? Not a lot. In fact, it's probably gonna end it see i don't think that this is the way that god answered habakkuk because i don't think it is the way he answers a genuinely why question see when job lost everything and he questioned god in chapter 38 the answers began to flow where were you when i formed the mountains where were you and so on Do we have in our imagination that God's answer was a thundering answer, like the Wizard of Oz behind the screen? How dare you ask, where were you when this was happening? But what if if it's more like a father's answer that says, Son, where were you when I made the earth? Where were you when I put the stars in place? Where were you when the dawn breaks? A loving, kind, compassionate, personal intimate tone of voice that I believe he has for each and every one of us his tone is not driven by anger but it is driven by a profound sense of his sovereignty and his compassion and this may not be good a good enough answer for some of us for where we are at right now but the tone of God's answer to a genuine question is never angry it is never aggressive prejudiced or downright get out of my way His answer is driven by his compassion for us. You know, there might come a moment when our why question is met with a strong answer, and he may ask, why are we talking about this again? Why are we back on the same subject? Surely we have gone over this time and time again. And I know that you are not receiving the answer you want, but you are receiving the answer I want you to have. But even then... His tone will be kind and gentle. Let's be careful that we don't cultivate a tone around the voice of God in our doubts and in our questions that make him a tyrant when in reality he is a father and he knows the bigger picture which is hard for us to understand. So his answer comes back about the Chaldeans and there is a truth here that Habakkuk has to hold on to. The truth is this. You don't know God would say that what I am doing, you don't know my overarching purposes, you don't understand how I'm engaging with people here and you are angry with me because you can only see part of the answer. But I see it all. See, I truly believe that he welcomes our questions and that his tone to us is much gentler than we will allow ourselves to think. The truth may be hard to take. Well, why don't you intervene in this situation? God says, I'm not going to tell you there is something else going on here and we have to learn to trust why didn't you get me that spouse that partner why didn't I have that child why has my life been like this or ended up like this you know I can't answer those questions as a pastor but somehow I know that God does not make mistakes why did they have to die why did they have to suffer He does not make mistakes, and he does see the big picture. And that's not just blind faith. That has to be a place of seeing faith and trusting faith. God's answer back to us is often perhaps less than we want him to say because in the end, he is drawing us into a place where we have to trust him. One of the central themes of this book is not simply asking questions. It is learning to trust if I were to ask the question where in scripture do we learn that the just shall live by faith? I reckon that most would quote Romans 1 16, where Paul says that the just shall live by faith. But this would be only true in part for actually it is from Habakkuk that we learn that the just shall live by faith. Chapter two, verse four and five says these words, "'And the Lord answered me, "'Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it for still the vision awaits it's appointed time it hastens to the end it will not lie if it seems slow wait for it it will surely come it will not delay behold his soul is puffed up it is not upright with him within him but the righteous shall live by faith questions of why go together with living a life of faith tone what does god sound like in our heads truth whatever the hard thing he may be saying to us or asking of us today this truth we know he never lies and trust trust in the end is what we believe about God one of the most repeated phrases in scripture is this God is good and his love endures forever Today, I don't know where we are all at in our lives or what we are going through or what we're facing at this time, but I would like to ask us a question. To whom else can we go? Who else has the words of eternal eternal life? Choosing to live by faith and not considering the alternative says I am making the choice that says I am coming to you and to you alone. And in that sense, I will trust and I will believe in you. Sometimes I think that as Christians, we require faith to be certainty, when by its very nature, it isn't. Faith hears the tone of a God who loves us, holds the truth of a God who knows us in our situation, and trusts despite what is going on in our lives. Thank you for taking time out today. Let me just pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is alive and wants to interact with us and wants to communicate with us. Father, we thank you that we can trust your character, that we can rely upon who you are and what you say. Although we do not see the overall picture, we do know that you are a God who is in control, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.